Hello and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm Emma Cantor, Associate Children's Book Editor at Publishers Weekly. Today I'm speaking with author Christine Lynn Herman about her new YA fantasy novel, The Devouring Grey. The book is due out on April 2nd from Disney Hyperion, which is sponsoring this podcast. Born in New York City but raised in Japan and Hong Kong, Christine Lynn Herman subscribes to the philosophy that home is where her books are. She returned to the United States to study at the University of Rochester, where she received the Dean's Prize in Fiction and an Honors English degree. Currently, Christine resides with her books in Brooklyn, New York, along with her partner, many plants, and their extremely spoiled cat. In The Devouring Grey, four teens with magical powers, Violet, Justin, Harper, and Isaac, must confront dark family secrets if they hope to save their town from a dangerous monster. Thank you for speaking with me, Christine. Thanks, Emma. I'm excited to get started. How did the concept for this fantasy story crystallize? Well, it's set in upstate New York, which is where I attended college. So um, I, you'd think that like it would have come to me when I was actually physically in Rochester, which is the region of upstate where the the book is set. But it actually came to me on my semester abroad. Um, I thought I needed to go away to like be inspired by a new place, and it didn't hit me until I left that I needed to write about like this place that had become my home. So that's where the initial seeds of the idea came to me. And then I wrote it when I was physically back in Rochester the next semester. The Devouring Grey has been compared to Stranger Things, The Raven Cycle, and Riverdale. Is it fair to say you're a fan of the paranormal genre? Absolutely. Um, When I first got into young adult literature, it was during the first paranormal craze, like 10-ish years ago. Um, And I read a ton of Holly Black and a lot of other books like that um, about like vampires and werewolves and witches and everything under the sun. Um, So I knew I wanted to kind of bring that back in my own way, but with my own spin on it, which is a lot more like classic horror tinged and brings in a lot of the influences of like 80s horror stuff that like my parents were big fans of that I grew up exposed to. So that's why I love the Stranger Things comp, because even though it's not set during the 80s, I do feel like it's almost an homage to that kind of vibe. The book features an ensemble cast, including Violet, Justin, Harper, and Isaac, the descendants of four magical founding families in their small town. What led you to structure the book in this way? Well, I've always been drawn towards multiple POV narratives because I love looking at the different ways that people see themselves and the way that they like appear to other people. Um, Especially when you're an adolescent, I think the way that you feel on the inside isn't always how you're perceived. Um, And I love being able to look at that through a bunch of different people's eyes. So I knew from the very beginning that it was a multiple POV book because the idea came with um, three of the four characters you just mentioned attached to it. I had Justin and I had Isaac and I had Violet from the beginning. Harper took a little bit longer, but was worth the wait. Um, And I think that I also love to look at the way that like friend groups can shape your experience when you're at that age. 
my friends were so important to me and what I did and how I behaved. And especially with this extra bond of their like supernatural abilities and their family history, it felt like if only one of them was telling the story, we'd just be getting like 20% of it. As you were plotting, how did you go about juggling the different characters and their stories? Oh, that's a great question. Um, it took a couple of drafts to get the balance right because it was very, very difficult to handle all of the like, they're all feeling a lot of things all the time. And a lot of the time they're mad at each other. So I needed to make sure that every character had as balanced a perspective as possible in the sense that I didn't want to overly villainize any of my POV characters. I think they're all kind of messy sometimes and like a little bit difficult because they're teenagers, but I also think that they all mean well and they're all good people. Um, so I needed to make sure I could put them in conflict with one another, but have it have both of them come out of the conflict looking like, you know, somebody readers would still want to follow. So I wound up, um, I literally used an Excel spreadsheet to plot um, the different beats of the story to see like who was narrating what and to see if I needed to move things around to put characters in different places to maximize like, hey, maybe we need to see what she's thinking here so that the reader can understand why she does this in a chapter, stuff like that. The novel also addresses themes of trauma and grief as Violet returns to her hometown after the death of her sister. Did those emotional aspects resonate with you on a deeper level? Yeah, I call this my grief book because I wrote it um, shortly after a family member I was very close to was diagnosed with a terminal illness. So I, I wrote it while um, she was dying. It was very, very hard at the time. It still is. Um, and I can see a lot of that trauma in there when I read the book. It, it was really personal. There are still scenes that are very difficult for me to read. Um, but I'm really glad that I went so deep and I'm glad I was so honest with myself. Um, and I've had readers say some really nice stuff to me about that who've been through similar things. And so that makes me feel good. I know that I can't possibly represent everyone who's ever lost a loved one's experience, but I know I represented my personal experience and that's what was important to me. The Devouring Grey is your first novel to be published, but I'm curious, were there any previous attempts that you were working on? Oh, absolutely. I, um, I've been writing a book every year, like a full draft of a novel since I was 17. Um, but this was the first one that I cared about enough to pursue it towards publication because it was the only one I felt like, it felt like it was finally good enough. It took, I think this was the fifth full length book I wrote. And the other ones I would try to revise them and sometimes I would even send them to like my sister. She's like my first and best beta reader. Um, well, I have two sisters, actually, and a brother. They've all read the book, but she's the toughest one of the three of them. Um, but I just knew The Devouring Grey was special. It was the only book that I tried to find representation with. Um, and I'm really glad that it's the book that sold because I feel like it accurately represents the kind of stories I want to tell and the kind of writer I want to be. And what was the submission process like for you before you connected with your agent? 
Well, I actually did a contest called Pitch Wars, which um, has led to a lot of publication successes. Um, I was ready to shelve the book entirely before that because I had queried it previously and it hadn't really gone anywhere. I knew that it, it wasn't ready yet, but I didn't know how to take it further on my own. Um, and then I entered Pitch Wars like on a whim, basically, and I got in. Um, and it's a contest where you work with a published or agented author, um, and they serve as your mentor for like two and a half months. And you work really hard on the book together. Um, they give you notes, you revise it, you revise it again. You work on like your query and your synopsis and all your submission materials. And then there's an agent round where agents can come through and request the pitches that catch their fancy. So um, that was a really big turning point for me because um, I learned a lot of writing technique and craft things. And I also made my best friend. My best friend is my um, former Pitch Wars mentor. And we really clicked and she like understood, I think, what kind of story I was trying to tell and just was like, let it out. We're going to do this. And we did. And the book was so much better after that. And that's when I got my agent, when I queried after the agent round. All of your revisions and work certainly paid off. The novel sold to Disney Hyperion in a two book deal, including a sequel. How did it feel to have such excitement about your first novels? It's felt really incredible and surreal. I'm a lifelong reader. I think many authors are, and I know how crowded the shelves are in the white space right now. So just selling the book felt like an incredible accomplishment. And I'm still so grateful and floored that Disney understood what I wanted to do, got my vision and got me so well. Um, and then to see it's so close to release now and to see like readers picking it up and getting tagged in like reviews and stuff and like cool bookstagram pictures. It's totally so much more than I ever could have asked for. I remember when I, when I was entering Pitch Wars back in the summer of 2016 and I just remember thinking to myself, I just want one person to love this book the way I love this book. And now it feels like a lot of people do. And I don't know. It's it's really something that I think sometimes it's really difficult for me to look at my life and my career through like a lens of perspective. But in this exact moment, I think I'm doing an okay job. Um, I, I'm so grateful and I'm so lucky. Um, and I love my team at Disney. And I, all the early readers who've identified with this book, like I'm, I'm getting a little emotional because this book means so much to me, but to have it mean something to other people too is really so much more than I ever could have asked for. What appeals to you most about writing for teen readers? Well, I, I really, really love teenagers. Um, I think it's such a cool age. I think it's an underrated age, specifically for teenage, um, teenage girls. The stuff that teenage girls like as a former teenage girl is really looked down upon societally, but teenage girls are the best. Their enthusiasm and passion for things that they love, the way that they just wholeheartedly invest themselves in people, in ideas and experiences. I wish we could all apply that passion to the rest of our lives. Um, and I 
love that that is the audience that I'm writing for. And I also love, um, I love writing about like big firsts, which I think adolescence is full of. I also love writing horror stories. And I think that most of the time, adolescence kind of is a horror story. Um, <laughs> you know, no matter how I do like your childhood is. There are really awkward and weird parts of growing up. And I think that being honest about that and being honest about the dark stuff that you can face when you're very young, but also the bright future that you can have regardless of what's happened to you is important. Um, I also just really, really like writing about um, like teenagers making like big decisions that are going to impact like the rest of their lives and like first kisses and like first dates and um, getting into college and stuff like that. It was such a transformative experience for me in my own life. And it feels kind of like I'm exercising my own personal demons a little bit. Have you had the opportunity to connect with any teens online or at events for the book? Well, actually, my, my first beta readers were my siblings were all teenagers still when I wrote the book. So they were the first teens to ever read it. And my youngest sister is um, a college freshman now. She's 18. And she was always like my, my go-to when I had questions about like slang. I was like, I'm very old now, Joanna. Please help me. So they were the first ones. But they're not the only ones. I have gotten some really wonderful messages from teen readers. Um, I think that in my in my like space as an author, it's I don't want to like engage too closely with like reviewers and readers. Like I think it's important to keep boundaries up. But I've seen some stuff that's made me really happy, um, even if I don't necessarily engage with it. Looking back, what were some of the books or authors that inspired you as a young reader? Well, I've definitely already name-dropped Holly Black, but I'm going to do it again because she is the paranormal slash contempt fantasy queen as far as I'm concerned. I loved her books in middle school and high school and also now. Um, I was also a, a really big fan of Sarah Rees Brennan, who I think is perennially underrated. Um, and I really, really loved, um, in terms of like high fantasy and stuff that's like a little farther away from what I write, I really love um, Rachel Hartman's Serafina books. And I loved Marie Lu's books in high school and college and now, um, which are like sci-fi kind of futuristic. Although she does have that fantasy series too. But when I got into her, it was like her debut, which is legend. And so that's like dystopian. Um, I'm also a really big fan of Alex Bracken, who does write kind of like contemporary slash dystopian slash like it's not exactly paranormal, but like it's like modern day teens with magic and time travel and twisty stuff. And now I share an editor with Alex, which is really weird to me because I've been reading her books since I was like 15 or 16. Backtracking a bit, you mentioned in your bio that you've had quite an international upbringing, and you discussed earlier your study abroad experience. How has that impacted your writing, do you think? I think that I, I grew up um, bouncing around the world, um, in and out of the States, in other countries, um, but my family is American and like very like New Yorker-y. Um, and so it gave me a really interesting, weird perspective. I think I tend to write about outsiders because of that, because I was like the perennial 
new kid at school and because I was used to leaving places and um, not very good at like putting down roots. And so that's a perspective that comes naturally to me. But I also think that I have a fascination with small towns and people staying in the same place for a really long time because I didn't do that. And so I talk about it a lot because um, it's something that I never got to experience. Like my, my partner, he was born and raised in the same house in the same town his whole life. And he's had like the same friends since he was like in elementary and middle school. And that is so surreal to me. I'm always like, what was that like? Tell me more. Because for me, it's like, I'm really close with my siblings because we all had each other. But although I keep in touch with like friends from like past schools and stuff on like social media, it was different, you know? You can't really have a childhood best friend when your childhood is spent in like four different cities. As a debut author now, have there been any surprises or unexpected moments along the publication journey? I think debut year is kind of one big surprise in a lot of ways. I thought I knew what to expect because my best friend is a published author and she had already kind of gone through it by the time I sold my first book, but I was surprised anyway. I think probably the most delightful surprise has been the other debut friends I've made. Um, I've definitely like forged some bonds that I think I'm going to have for the rest of my writing career this year because I feel like going through debut year with somebody like cements you, like you're getting the same hurdles at the same time, whether it's like a trade review or like some sort of like cover thing in your inbox or like worrying about coordinating your launch party, everything like that. Like I think the most important thing is to not have to do it by yourself. And so um, I think I was surprised because I thought that I was going to be a lot more chill about it than I actually was. Anyone who knows me in real life is listening to this right now and they're like, Christine, you've never been chill about anything. But I was surprised. <laughs> Before we wrap things up, can you tell us anything about what's in store in the sequel? Let's see. What will not make my editors mad at me? Um, some things that are in store in the sequel. Um, there's a birthday party that nobody wants to go to. There is a really, really disgusting body horror world building element. Um, there are kissing scenes, which um, mild spoilers, there's no, there's no kissing in the first book. Sorry, friends. Um, but I promise people kiss in the sequel. And... Let's see. Is there one more thing that I can say? Oh, if you thought that everyone had lots of family trauma in the first book, I'm so sorry. We were just getting started. <laughs> okay, that's like really all I can say. Everything else is spoilery. And I'm revising it right now, so lots of things are changing. But those things aren't changing. Something for everyone, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Congratulations on your debut, and thank you for speaking with me. Thanks so much. Once again, I've been speaking with Christine Lynn Herman, whose new book, The Devouring Gray, is out on April 2nd from Disney Hyperion. Thank you for listening to PW KidsCast. <laughs>